you can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to Hollywood and Levine. I'm Ken Levine, your podcast host. This week, my guest is sportscaster Jason Bonetti. Now, he is the TV voice of the Chicago White Sox, also announces baseball, football, and basketball for ESPN. And in my opinion, he's the next Vince Scully. Very talented and also young. Well, what I found really intriguing is that during the pandemic for ESPN, he would call games from his apartment. Now, I used to do that from my bedroom as a kid. No one would hear me. Jason does it, and it's on TV around the world. Let's find out about that and much more in part one of my two-part conversation with sportscaster Jason Benetti. So during the pandemic, you had to call games from your apartment. And to set the scene, you live in a high-rise apartment in Chicago, so uh, lay it out for us. What did it look like? What are you looking at when you're calling a game? It was wild. Uh, at the, I mean, this was, this was May or so. ESPN called me and said, we want to add you to Korean baseball. And I said, okay, how does that happen? And they said, we will send, um, we'll send you a kit. Do you want to install it yourself or have a technician come? And I said, the latter, please. Uh, I don't. <laughs> I, uh, I barely can use a first aid kit. So the, um, the, the company sent somebody to my home. And in fact, it was the first person to come into my apartment after the world shut down was right. the kit installer for ESPN, which I don't know. Like a lot of people have talked about lonely existences during the pandemic. I think first person to enter your apartment since it started is the installer of the kit you will use to not be near anybody and do your job is pretty high on the list. It's on the metal stand. Just to have somebody in the house though. I mean, did you offer to make them a candlelight dinner? I, I actually did the opposite. I said, you go in this room. I'm going to be in this room. I don't know if we have it. Uh, Enjoy. It only took a couple hours. They actually, it's, it was really funny. I asked the guy when he got here, what, when 
uh, did you uh, know that you were going to head over here? He said, well, they called me a couple days ago. He goes, but I live in Indianapolis. I said, they don't have anybody in Chicago. They had sent somebody <laughs> from Indianapolis to set up my kit. And he said, yeah, I guess so. So he sets it up. It's um, what it is, is um, in the corner of my living room, I'm in my bedroom office right now, in the corner of my living room is uh, a table with a computer on it. Uh, there's a box that's like um, your normal headset box. You plug in the headset and I can talk to everybody from there. The computer has a Zoom feed on it, and that's how we get our video. And then the computer plugs into the monitor. There's a monitor there, but I didn't get the monitor at first. They decided to add the, the large monitor later. So I was at first calling the game literally off the computer Zoom feed. Um, so it's really, it's a very small kit. There's a camera, uh, which started as an iPad. We've upgraded to one of these cameras that I now have a remote for. So I can like move my camera around left and right, but they also have control of that in Connecticut. Uh, so I turn my camera off quite, quite a bit. <laughs> so you're in, like I said, a high rise apartment in Chicago. Were you ever calling the game and there was like, you know, gunfire below? Uh, remember the first weekend of the protests uh -huh. across the country? I had a midnight central time Korean baseball game that night. And two blocks from me is where there was some iconic video of a police car getting overturned in Chicago. That happened right around then. So I got connected about an hour and a half before 10.30 p.m. central time. And I had to immediately say to the people in Bristol, do you hear the explosions? <laughs> and they said, what are you talking about? I said, that's good, because there are almost constant explosions outside my window. When we got on air, it was the rat-a-tat boom of the protests happening literally outside my window. So it's like, well, Samsung Lions go one, two, three, boom, in the first <laughs> inning. And, you know, I... <laughs> You know, if I if I was there doing the game and that made any sense to the viewer, I would reference it. But they're trying to watch baseball in Seoul, and I'm the person charged with bringing it to them. So they don't have any care what's going on. I don't think anybody heard, but there were a couple very loud explosions that I will I will never forget. We got off the air at I want to say three thirty four o'clock. It was a long game. And it was still going on outside my window. You could just say, uh, well, we're coming to you from the DMZ. Right. right. <laughs> but I don't know that anybody would have bought the demilitarized part of that. <laughs> so you did Korean baseball. And I have to compliment you because you really sounded like you were into it. You know, you would talk about the pennant races and what teams needed to do and everything. Now, you had to know that the only people watching were people who had insomnia or were just so jonesing for baseball and didn't give a shit. And yet, uh, like I said, you treated it as if it actually meant something. It was the only thing I was doing all week. <laughs> I, I, like I would talk to you on Tuesday and a couple other friends during the week. What a, 
what else am I going to do? I, I had to dive into it in part number one. I think it's amazing. Like I think it's really fun to do games in other countries and, and things like that and understand it and figure out like I've always wanted to do a random Olympic sport like curling or something like that and just learn it and really dive in. That excites me. But also it was the only thing I was doing all week. And so we had a we had a KBO insider named Daniel Kim who was very helpful with things like pronunciations and history of the league and everything that came along with that. But yeah, I mean, I, look, all of us who are announcer types had no idea what we could do when locked in our homes. So this was an actual way to actually do a game, which was thrilling to me, I I loved watching KBO bullpens implode. They told us right <laughs> off the jump, like if it's a seven-two game in the sixth inning, don't worry, it could be close very soon. There there are not grand arms in KBO bullpens. Did you get any complaints from neighbors? Because here you are c- calling home runs and things at three o'clock in the morning, and people are going, "Shut up!" You would think so, and. <laughs> I think I may have gotten a complaint, but I didn't realize it. Later on, this past March, I had just tweeted that I was doing Purdue and Indiana on ESPN. And I walked by my front door, and there was a note under my front door. And it said, we're big Boilermaker fans. Good luck with the game today. Uh, Sorry we set off the smoke alarm last night. Signed, your neighbors. (laughs) <laughs> and I did not hear the smoke alarm, so I would not have had any idea. And first of all, I've never met my neighbors. So the fact that they know I live here is slightly terrifying. Uh, but then, you know, we may have walked past each other in the hall at some point, but we've never even had that, like, one person opens the door, the other person opens the door, like Shirley Laverne sort of situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't know how they knew. I wrote them a note and slipped it under the door that said, uh, boiler up. And then I wrote, sorry for yelling about all those home runs at four in the morning, Jason. And they have not responded. So I think I think they may have, yeah, gotten woken up by me screaming about Daniel Palka hitting a home run. I just wonder if you're trying to sleep, what's worse, hearing a couple loudly making love in the next apartment or hearing some guy yelling about a triple. You know the other thing is going to end at some point. <laughs> That's true. This could go extras. <laughs> Rarely does extra that go to the 11th. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when uh, I was announcing for Syracuse, and you're a fellow former Syracuse Chiefs announcer, uh, my partner and I were in Denver and they were playing at Mile High Stadium, but there was no football press box, or no baseball press box, rather. There was a football. So they just took one of the luxury boxes close to home plate and made that our booth, which was fine, except there were like three rows of seats behind us, which they sold. So we're trying to do the game, and there's... (laughs) an audience of like 18 people sitting behind us and they start telling us to shut up because we're distracting and we're annoying to them. (laughs) My, 
My only similar experience involves uh, Ken Schnacki and the Columbus Clippers. So the stadium in AAA after Columbus had old Cooper Stadium was called Huntington Park, and it still exists. They've had some baseball regionals and things like that. Their Big Ten tournament, I think. But the press box is an outdoor press box. So we used to call it play-by-play al fresco. And uh, they put us right in front of, like, the high roller section. It's like the suite section, but there are some standing room areas behind where we did the game. And I always used to try to, before the game, pick out the people I thought would be most unruly and introduce myself to them and try to make myself human. Because if you're like a panda... And it's like it's like poking the panda cage or like knocking on the reptile thing at the at the zoo. <laughs> That's when it becomes a problem. But if the reptiles came up and said, hi, I'm Frank, I'm a CPA from Boise, you'd be like, whoa, whoa, I guess I shouldn't knock on the cage. So that's that was my tactic. And sometimes it worked. And sometimes they got drunk anyway and yelled at us. More with Jason Benetti in a moment, but right now this pitching change is brought to you by Honey. What is Honey? Well, Honey is a free shopping tool that scours the Internet for promo codes and applies the best ones it finds to your cart. Here's the best part of all of this. It's free. It's absolutely free. How does it work? Very simple. So you're buying stuff online, and when you get to the checkout, the Honey button drops down, and all you have to do is click Apply Coupons. And then it takes a few seconds, and it scours the interweb, and it finds all of these coupons, and it uses the ones that work and apply, and you see the price of your item just keep going down and down and down and down. It really works. I've used it a number of times. I used it just this week and saved $6, thank you very much, on a new toner cartridge for my printer. Honey, you got to get this. And again, it is free. So if you haven't already gotten Honey, well, you could straight up be missing out on savings. It's absolutely free. It installs in just a few seconds. Even I was able to do it without asking my son-in-law for help. And by getting it, you'll be doing yourself a solid and supporting this humble podcast. Again, I'd never recommend anything that I don't use. I use it. It's free. Why not use it? You can get Honey for free at joinhoney.com slash Levine. Once again, that's joinhoney.com slash Levine. And now back to more with Jason Benetti. When I was doing a, a spring training game with the Mariners and we were playing the Angels who were in Palm Springs... And whenever they did a TV game, they needed the extra booth. So visiting radio literally got put into the stands. (laughs) Literally, they set up a table in the stands. And I'm calling the game, and I get a tap on the shoulder, and it's the vendor asking me to send malts down the row. (laughs) (laughs) And then the money comes back. And then I have to give them change. Meanwhile, you know, ground ball to third, up with it. You know, I'm calling the game. Right. <laughs> well, that, that gets ready uh, for multitasking just in case, you know, in the majors, like something goes out. Yeah. But uh, look, the, for me, the best part of the minors 
was all of the ridiculous uh, stuff that happened and the press boxes they put you in. My favorite press box in the minors was in Kinston, North Carolina. It was a single person booth. So if we traveled a second person, they just had to go sit out in the main press box while I did my inning. And then they'd go do a couple innings and I'd come back. But it was all glass. So you couldn't even hear or feel the game. But they had a little plug-in where you could plug your crowd mic in and then string it out the door of the press box. I mean, it was mm-hmm. literally the Ron Burgundy glass case of emotion that he talks about. <laughs> and so we'd string out the microphone and it actually sounded okay because the mic would be right in the middle of the crowd. The problem is the the local kids could find the microphone and just indiscriminately yell into it. And so they would think that it was the microphone in the stadium and they'd come up to it and yell, it's my birthday, in the middle of like a double playground ball. So you know how it is in the minor leagues. You're trying to put together a resume tape to climb in the minors or get to the majors. <laughs> and you'd have an amazing, like, there's first and second, nobody out, ground ball right to third, possible triple play. Smith turns it to second. Anderson, happy birthday, mom, throw the first, <laughs> t- triple play. Oh, crap. <laughs> yep. Fun days in the minors. Oh, yeah. So getting back to calling games on TV from your house, yeah. you, you do baseball, football, basketball. It seems to me each has its challenges, but baseball in particular, because unlike other sports, the ball is not involved in the scoring. I mean, in football, the football goes over the end zone line, and in basketball, it goes through the hoop. But in baseball... The ball could be 300 feet away from 16 guys running around. How do you call a baseball game under those conditions? And do you have additional cameras? We have basically what you see. The one extra camera we have is we have a camera that's locked in a position above home plate so you can see all the fielders. Okay. I, the, the first thing I need to say is, Thank the Lord I'm not doing radio for Major League Baseball from that type of vantage point. Because with TV, you can fudge it a little bit. If you don't see something, you assume that the audience is seeing it, so you don't have to be as on it. But on radio, you have to say, swing a long fly ball, deep left center field, and that is off the top of the wall. And it ricochets into, you know, one of two fielders, and maybe you don't know which one it is because you didn't see where he was coming from or whatever it might be. So on TV, it's a little easier. I would say football was the toughest for me because sometimes these jerseys just are not easily legible, the the color scheme and all that. And so I actually had a spotter to help point things out as we normally do in the booth. I had two spotters to do college football this fall. One was in the booth using like a document camera like your chemistry teacher would use to show the slide of the amoeba. Mm -hmm. And then the other one had an easel in my apartment with me and was pointing at stuff from a distance as well. And even with that, sometimes the grainy zoom made it very difficult to know who has the ball. The good news with baseball is the camera person normally follows the ball wherever it goes. And All I rooted for for baseball was to not have anything that was really close or strange or wonky. Like, you don't want a home run down the right field line to Pesky's pole at Fenway. 
you, you don't want that. You don't want a ball ricocheting off the top of the wall right near the yellow line. We had one of those at Cleveland just the other day with the White Sox that clanged right off a fence above the yellow line. So it was a home run. So, and you also like the, the most terrifying thing that happened was I did a, we do that stat cast Sunday night baseball game. We had Padres Dodgers about a month and a half ago. And the first batter, first pitch, the video skipped. So I saw it get released. And then I saw the umpire point. And then the first ball in play, I saw contact with the bat and then the ball was at first, no joke, being caught by the first baseman as if it had thrown by another fielder. But I couldn't tell you what in the world happened. And the whole first inning, it was like that. They had some technical difficulty. And I literally hit talk back to our producer. There's a button that talks back to the truck. I said, Andy, just tell me if it goes over the wall, everything else I will handle. And so I literally, the first six outs of that Padres-Dodgers game, did not know where the ball was going. It must be terrifying because you're on national television. It is the dream that we have all had in nine million different circumstances of not being ready for a test, dog eats the prep, whatever it is, Martians land and cover your eyes. That's what it was. It was was really scary because that's, that's a show that has turned into a really fun, cool thing. And I always look forward to it and I don't want to botch that. Like I want to be around those guys forever, but a real bad first inning, people are going to say, wow, how stupid is he? He didn't know that was a ground ball to short. We're supposed to listen to him about weighted runs, created plus and BABIP. Nope. (laughs) Those are great broadcasts, and and I have to say, whenever you guys do them, and it's on like ESPN2 when the regular Sunday night baseball is on ESPN1, um, you guys are so much better and so much more entertaining even. Even with all the statistics, you guys have so much more color and seem to have so much more of a chemistry. Maybe I just can't stand A-Rod, but... <laughs> well, what, what, what those games have taught me, honestly, Ken, I, you know, I liked math as a kid, but I wasn't tremendous at math. Uh, what those games have taught me is analytics doesn't have to mean eight-letter uh, numbers and things like that, like BABIP, uh, batting average on balls in play. It doesn't all have to be jargon. The, the data that gets collected on hitters and defenders and how a center fielder is good coming in and to his right, or this guy is really good at breaking balls away and slugging them to the opposite field. There's a lot we learn through StatCast that we don't even have to present in numbers. And it honestly has made me see the game in a different way. And I know people get scared of, of analytics because in part it is driving up strikeouts because teams are looking for home runs and they incentivize strikeouts. Essentially that is all true, but the stuff you can learn from, from the analytics that are, that are freely available. It's really cool when you watch a game armed with them. And our, our guys have taught me a lot about that. Has the camera ever fooled you? Have, have you ever blown a call? I, I can't think of a specific uh, – there, there was a ball that I thought was popped up in KBO that was a home run. I said, no idea. And what are you going to do? You know, you kind of have to laugh it off because we all see the same thing. And 
as the people at home are seeing. But I, I am pretty careful to not uh, blame our situation because I think people just want to watch a game. Now, I will say with KBO and with ESPN games, I don't blame the situation as much as I've started to do in the, um, the Major League Baseball road game situation because I think people have to know the product does get frayed some that we're not in the stadium. And I think at some point we need to be back in the stadium. But I, I don't think people at home want to hear you complain all the time about your situation, especially last year. Like we had to do that for Major League Baseball last year. We, we couldn't have traveled. It wasn't safe for people to travel. Now that we're vaccinated, it's a different story. But, yeah, I've had, I've had countless moments in, in games from home. Um, like with um, trying to think of the best example from football. But the, anytime there's like a simultaneous catch of a cornerback and a wide receiver, I was just like, and and said the longest and ever, and then waited for the official to come into view to wave. I think it's fair to be able to tell the audience that you're not there because, you know, it makes a big difference when you have access to the manager, access to the coaches, access to the players. It adds a whole level to the game. I'm sure there are players on the White Sox who you have never physically met ever, ever. And I, I've said to people the, the, the no hitters and I'll, I'll say it to you in a different way, but the no hitters that have you done a no hitter? Yes, I have done two. One involved the white Sox, actually Wilson Alvarez throwing it against the Orioles. But yes, I've done two no hitters. When you know the person throwing the no hitter and you've met them, it changes the way you can do the no hitter. Sure. And, and I, I said actually to our executive producer a couple of weeks ago, when we were talking about the um, this with the white Sox, when we were talking about traveling and you know, how long it might take, I said to him, if you want to have any level of depth on a future, no hitter, I have to have met the player. And so if you think that's not important, you're wrong because I've, we used to a series where I play video games against the White Sox and I've done them both with Lucas Giolito and Carlos Rodon, who happened to throw no hitters since last August for the mm-hmm. Sox. I know them at the core. I mean, as much as you can know somebody that you're not close friends with, but you've gotten to talk to a lot. And like, I was, I was narrating Lucas's MLB, the show video game tournament that he was playing last spring and summer against other players and with Carlos, we've played foosball in the White Sox clubhouse in Texas. And if I'm not around them, I'm just not going to have the same ability to convey it to the audience. So, yeah, I, I do hope, Ken, that there is somebody out there who cares about that because they should because it frays the product when we're not there. Absolutely. You do a lot of different sports. Do you have a favorite? Tiddlywinks. Uh, <laughs> the... Do I have a You know, favorite? that's not your best sport, I got to tell you. Thank you. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I saw you call a game of Pop-O-Matic Trouble the other day, and you weren't well prepared for the green team. Uh, the, I, I would say baseball has been my favorite 
because of getting to know the people. You know how it is. You you do 162 games and you're around them on the plane and you run into them and you talk to them in the clubhouse and you just kind of get a feel for, oh, he's going to throw this here. He thinks this about this batter, whatever it might be. I, I just feel like I always have more perfect information when I'm doing baseball. And I kind of think it's more of a... Um, it's more of a long form story football. We parachute in, we do a game that week and we may not see those two teams for three years and basketball is two hours and it kind of blows by. I think baseball is really, really fun because of the depth that it can provide and because of the opportunity to veer when it's nine to one. And you can talk about the, the funnel cake fries that you just ate. I'm, I'm down with that. Okay, that'll do it for part one of my two-part interview with Jason Benetti. Next week, we're going to talk a little bit more about working with partners, uh, notably Bill Walton. Also, feedback from social media, uh, dealing with haters. Also, the fact that he has to deal with cerebral palsy. So that is next week. Uh, We hope you come back. He's a very fascinating guy, as you can hear. He can talk about anything and make it interesting. So... That's next week. For now, thanks to Adam and Susie Meister, Butler, Howard Hoffman, John Wolford, Bruce, and Jason Miller. If you want to get in touch with me, my email address is hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. That is hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. I am on Twitter at Ken Levine, also on Instagram, Hollywood and Levine. Please subscribe if you haven't already. More important, get vaccinated if you haven't already. Jason and I will talk to you again next week. Bye. Hollywood and the Fine.